Hi, I'm Ali. And I'm Penny, and you're listening to Not Too Busy to Write. The podcast about writing, publishing, and creativity amongst life's many other demands. I'm joined today by Lizzie Demilola Blackburn. She's a British-Nigerian writer from Peckham in London. Her debut novel, Yinka, Where Is Your Husband, is out in the UK on the 31st of March and is out now in the US. Lizzie won the the, the literary consultancy Pen Factor Award uh, in 2019 for an early draft of Yinka. Um, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> um, I have to say, firstly, that I got to read Yinka at Christmas time when I had COVID and I was really miserable oh. and it really cheered me up. So oh. thank you so much. It You're was welcome. literally the most perfect timing. I saw, I had my pile of things I had to read for the next series of the podcast, plus some other reading that I really wanted to do. And I just, I saw Yinka and I was like, I think, she, I think she's what I need right now. And I was absolutely <laughs> right. Um, she is such a joy as a character um, no, not you. a perfect character by any means. Yeah. She's very complicated <laughs> and she certainly makes quite a few mistakes in the book. Um, but she's just, she's such a warm and engaging, gorgeous woman to spend time with. Um, and I guess I wanted to start by asking, did it all begin with Yinka or was there something else in the story that kind of started you off on this journey? Yeah, so it, um, it began with Yinka, but um, it started off as a short story so way back in 2014 2015 I actually had this blog called Christian Data Dilemmas because Mm -hmm. I was looking for like mainstream fiction with a Christian protagonist but I couldn't find any so I thought I would do something about it Um, and at the same time my dear mum she was asking me about you know my boyfriend (laughs) when am I going to settle down so I decided to write about this British Nigerian woman called Yinka um, but he's in her 30s. He's kind of like feeling the pressure to settle down. So that's how her story um, was birthed. But the decision to turn it into a novel came much later on. So I went to this blogging workshop and I met this um, amazing author called Jackie Lay. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to get feedback on my writing, as all writers do. So um, I shared my blog with her. And she, you know, in addition to giving me some really amazing feedback, she fell in love with Yinka and she mm-hmm. said, I think she turned it into a novel and I took on a challenge and went for it. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. And so before that point, had you considered being a novelist or were you more interested in other kinds of writing? So like when I was little, I always loved like reading and writing and I was inspired by authors like Jacqueline Wilson and Marilyn Blackman. Um, but I wanted to be a journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember like doing lots of like articles and reports on the side um but then my dad my dad wanted me to go into law (laughs) you know him being a typical Nigerian dad so when I went to university we kind of compromised and I studied politics okay (laughs) but then um after uni uh, I did do like journalism as a hobby like I remember um I did like a project but then I realized that it wasn't for me and I actually appreciated like creative writing and Mm. just the freedom to be able to write with not having to abide with like any house writing styles yes so um yeah that's why I kind of went back into like creative writing well we should say first of all as well um what the book is about so so Yinka's in her early 30s and she's 
got a very successful career, um, but she's also single and feeling a huge amount of pressure from her mum and from her community to settle down. And at the beginning of the novel, one of her close friends and cousins is announces her engagement and she decides to set herself the challenge of um, taking a date to that wedding, which is about six months from that point. Um, yeah. And she really goes about it in a very strategic <laughs> way, doesn't she? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hats off to her. She really, really throws her all in. And I guess it's even um, kind of ad- added complication if she finds out that that her ex-boyfriend, who who, um, who she still has quite a lot of grief about the ending of their relationship, has um, mm. turned up back in London with a with a fiancé who is also going to be attending this wedding, which adds obviously fuel to her fire to yeah. to change her situation. But it's it's um, it's so it's such a gorgeous book. Um, it's so much of it is so relatable, but at the same time, there are so many characters we don't typically see in romantic comedies Mm. um and I think you know particularly as you said you know that that Yinka is a Christian um woman and that that um that you know we don't we don't often see those those kind of women in mainstream cultures we sort of see religion as kind of written about as a separate thing rather than Mm. something that's integrated into your life yeah um and yeah it was it was a real joy to read that um because there's nothing at all um about her religious experience that's you can separate out from how she lives her life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, I think it's very important for everyone to be able to see themselves in the books that they read. And I think for a long time, I've really had to, like, search (laughs) for books that kind of, like, maybe reflect who I am as a person or um, kind of reflect some of my experiences. And like you said, like, the fact that Yinka is a Christian shouldn't be something that is like so foreign because there's so many like Christians um out there and I know that um in the US you know Christian fiction that's a huge market um but in the UK um we don't really have that I guess it's not as I guess popular and I did actually consider whether to go down the Christian fiction route but then when I looked into um a few Christian publishers they had quite um strict kind of submission guidelines so for example like no um, swear words or like no steamy sex scenes <laughs> and um, in Yinka as you know like she does swear a few times I just kind of wanted to make her you know human and I, I didn't want to make her like perfect I, I wanted yeah. her to be um, you know a flawed character as well yeah. Yeah. and she is like incredibly um, nuanced and lots of flaws and um and there's quite a few times in the book where you kind of want to shake her and go please yeah. don't do this you go please don't do this but um that's what I love about it because I think in a way and why I'm really glad you personally glad that you chose to go down this kind of publishing route because I think in a way um you know like why can't we have Christian characters in mm. in um novels that are kind of p- promoted to everybody and not just a specific community um and I think that's what's its real strength is um is showing Yinka and all of her sides and even to the point where she does have a number of love in, like sort of sort of potential <laughs> love interests in the book and one of them even has an open debate with her mm-hmm. um about her religious beliefs which is something that was so interesting because that's not something I've ever seen in a, rom- a contemporary romantic comedy before <laughs> and it was so it was so pleasing because it was it was clearly a very frustrating conversation and um I'm sure a frustrating conversation that happens all the time for people mm-hmm. who have to defend the fact that they have some faith yeah yeah and um I also wanted to make sure that there was was balance um yeah so that you know, I'm showing two sides. Um, so 
it doesn't seem as if like I've come in with this agenda or anything like that. <laughs> and I also wanted to show like um, how Christianity can be a very like personal like um, religion or faith because I think some people might have some preconceptions that you know Christians are judgy or pious or self-righteous so um, I wanted to show like how Yinka sees God as a as a friend and mm. how she kind of like confines in him and how she is okay if other people don't believe in God but she doesn't want to feel I guess judged for her own beliefs yeah I mean there's nothing self-righteous about Yinka at all at all I mean she's just um she has so much kind of compassion for everybody else's beliefs Mm. um but yeah exactly as you say just wants the same in return for her own um (laughs) which I really loved um thank you and so um also what's in the book aside from this all these wonderful sort of interconnected sort of potential love interests that she's exploring with her strategic approach. Um, there's also some really wonderful female friendships, um, a whole variety of them, <laughs> <laughs> cousins and sister and friend and moms and aunties, uh, many aunties. Um, and it's so rich and there's just so much, so many wonderful female relationships in there. Um, and I think my one of my personal favorites was um, Auntie Blessing. I absolutely oh, yeah. adored her. <laughs> adored her, and I loved the way that that relationship was kind of explored. Because um, in a way, at some points, you sort of get the idea that Yinka's put Auntie Blessing up on a bit of a pedestal, mm. um, and that sort of she comes to question how she's viewed Auntie Blessing's life a number of times mm. um, throughout the book, which I thought was was really really interesting and done in such a delicate way as well. Yeah, so um, yeah, quite a few people um, love Auntie Blessing. <laughs> She's like a great, you know, role model and a good mentor as well. And I think one great thing about Auntie Blessing is that she's she's so she's so so um, sure of herself. Yeah. Um, and um, not only is she like independent, but she is aware that her happiness, um, the, the ability to be happy, that kind of like relies on her. So it's it's a choice. Mm-hmm. So even though um, you know, she pursued her career and she wasn't able to find a husband. She didn't allow that to kind of get in the way of living like a, a full life. Yeah. Um, and she also kind of recognized the fact that, you know, you can find love at any age. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love that because it takes it in a way because of the community she's within who value marriage above career um, mm. that, um, it's obviously taken a huge strength of character to be able to kind of stick with that and be like, no, I know, I know that um, I can be happy with what I have, even though I haven't got everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because like with um, Yinka's mum and Auntie Debbie, her sisters, they always say, oh, like you don't want to end up like Auntie Blessing, but actually Auntie Blessing is an amazing role model. She's amazing. I'm like, I'd be really happy to end exactly, up like yeah. Auntie Blessing. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, um, it's so interesting this, then when Yinka discovers that, that Auntie Blessing has been sort of, you know, potentially doing some dating, this, that how confronting Yinka finds that in the sense that, you know, in a way she almost, it's almost like she saw her in a slightly um, black and white way that, um, that she saw Auntie Blessing's happiness as a kind of, um, well, I want to be single, so I therefore mm-hmm. I am happy. Whereas what it really is is I know I can be happy either way, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. that's sort of like a something that that Yinka's learning throughout the course of the book that it's it's not happiness isn't dependent on having a partner, but it doesn't mean you can't want one either. 
exactly yeah yeah you nailed it yeah yeah and I (laughs) think I love and I love that because it's it's so interesting because I think contemporary romantic comedies can um can sometimes go quite a lot in the other direction now where um I've read somewhere it feels like the the woman's not allowed to want a partner no she's not allowed to she's sort of not allowed to have him because that's almost like oh it's allowing a partner to come in and fix you know problems and make you happy but I've always felt very much like um you know, well, what if, what if we, what if we can help ourselves and have autonomy and, and, you know, mm. create our own lives, but also want to be in a partnership because we are human and humans make partnerships. That's what we've always done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, even at the beginning, like Yinka kind of like questions herself and thinks, am I a bad feminist for wanting to like, mm. you know, having this strong desire to get, to get married and then, towards the end she kind of like realizes that it's okay to have that desire because we are human and you know that kind of wanting to have companionship and love is is normal yeah it is and I think sometimes it's almost like we have gone so far the other way with it with um with this idea that independence should be valued above absolutely everything um Mm. but you know we're as humans where we are an interdependent species and you know it's it's incredible the community that Yinka is in, you know, there is um, for all its sort of ups and downs <laughs> um, and for the pressure that comes along with it, you know, she is surrounded by quite an incredible community. And the idea that, um, that, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't allow ourselves to have that because we're feminists is, is um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really beautifully kind of explored in the book through her. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so, I guess um, uh, I also wanted to sort of talk about um, this idea of um, of writing about a city because it was so nice. I live in Southeast London as well, um, oh. and I had to, I had an office in Peckham for a really really long time, oh, okay. um, and it was it was just so. I just enjoy that so much about reading about a place that's very specific, and this is very specifically a Peckham story, which I just yeah. <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed and I guess um was it was it always really clear to you that it needed to be very rooted in in place like that yeah so I grew up in Peckham for the first um 13 years of my life and I just thought it would be like an incredible um setting and also because back in the day Peckham had the nickname um Little Lagos because there's so many like Nigerians there there's a huge Nigerian community um but the funny thing is that in my early drafts I even though I mentioned that the book was set in Peckham, I didn't really bring it to life. And mm. I remember that was um, when my agent read my manuscript. She gave me feedback on that. She said, "You know, I think you should kind of like flesh it out a bit more, so the characters, so the readers can see, you know, what Peckham is. Maybe even touch on how it was in the past, given it's gone through this like transition of gentrification. And you know, Peckham is it's almost like a another character." Yeah. In the Inca. <laughs> um, and it's been so great to even hear like um how the US, how readers in the US have responded to Peckham and have even like Googled Peckham to see how it is as well. I was gonna ask you about that because I'm always fascinated by how people who don't know the UK read UK when it when it comes to novels. Yeah. Um because to me I love the the um the way you've portrayed Peckham is um is sort of how it is in real life it's it's mixed and complicated and and you know there's the Costa now and there's all these things now mm. that weren't there before but there's also still so much of Peckham's character there 
Like it's yeah. just, it's just, you know, it's, it's really the hair shops in the markets. Exactly, exactly. All the hair shops and stuff. And I loved, actually, I loved all of the hair shop stuff in there. It was just, yeah, it was very glorious. Um, but yeah, so how has the response been from American readers? Do they read Peckham and recognize that in the same way that you can recognize, you could, could it be recognizable in, in like an American city um, that's sort of similarly mixed in the way that London is? Yeah, because I had um, a book club discussion on Sunday and um, I think because like in some cities in the US has gone through like a period of like gentrification, so they were able to kind of like relate to it, but they did say that they had to Google a few places. So for example, like Chicken Cottage. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite specific, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it was quite funny. But actually, I was going to ask about that. So did any of it, like working with, because you um, presumably sold Yinka at the same time to the US yeah. and the UK. Did you work with two editors on it simultaneously and take notes from both? Yes, I did. Yeah. So um, my UK editor was like my, I guess, my main, not my main editor, but like I had more, I guess, communication with her. So she would be the one that would kind of like read the manuscript first and write her notes. And then my US editor would kind of add to it. So um, anytime they gave me editorial feedback, it would be, I guess, in two halves. So the first half might be for my UK one, second half for my US. And then on the manuscript itself, there'll be like comments as well from both editors yeah yeah and was there much that they felt like needed to be changed for a US audience um apart from obviously like spelling and some language and stuff is there was there anything that they they felt like that needed to be explained a bit more or changed or not really um I think just the word MOT I think they changed it (laughs) US version to something else but other than that not really even um barrister so um I've had a few US readers say oh what is a barrister because um, in the US, I guess it's a lawyer. Um, oh, yeah. So they call a lawyer who goes into court the same as what they call a solicitor, do they? I guess. I they think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, So um, they pass oh, so the they, right kind so of... So they hadn't changed that. They no, left that in there. Oh, that's in, so yeah. interesting. Yeah. Oh, I quite like that. So they've left a lot of the Britishness yeah. in there. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's just such an interesting process because I think... Um, this idea, and it, it's quite amazing, this idea of working with two editors, because I imagine that um, not necessarily that they disagree, but they bring, they're going to bring something different mm. to the table, each of them just as an individual. Yeah. Um, and so it's almost like you get sort of, you know, um, like a really n- a nice sort of broad, nuanced view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, like I said, it each brought something different and um you know, with my UK one, she really looked at the, the structure and the plot. And then with my US one, she looked at the the characters and, you know, what she wanted to see more of. So she really loved Nana and Auntie Blessing. She was like, we have four scenes with them. <laughs> um, and also in my initial draft, um, you know, like Nana is kind of like setting up her fashion business. Mm. I didn't actually show how she did it. So at the beginning, you just kind of have her announce that she wants to do it. And then at the end, she had a fashion show, but I didn't show how she got there. Yeah. So that was something that came from my US editor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and I really, I really love Nana so much. She's just <laughs> such a wonderful, fierce character, kind of, you know, sort of almost holding Yinka all the way through. Um, yeah. But, but also just holding her accountable as well in a really, yeah. really great way. Um, and actually, that's another thing that, that comes up quite a bit in the book, which was, um, which was so, um, interesting to read about was um, 
was race and colorism and body image, but body image particularly around race. Um, mm. And yeah, I guess I um, was it was it your intention right away to weave that through? Is it one of those things where you basically, you know, Yinka's a dark skinned woman? I guess mm. it's something that you you couldn't not you couldn't avoid in a way talking yeah. about. Yeah, exactly. So I knew that if I was going to write a story about a dark skinned woman with, you know, short kinky hair and I guess doesn't have like the curvy, you know, um, voluptuous like bottom body type, I knew that I had to kind of touch on like things like colorism and texturism um, because it happens um, like quite often in our community and it's such a, a real thing in the black community. And um, with colorism, it can be so, so subtle. So, you know, the lack of dark skinned women in the media or, you know, playing love interest in romantic movies. And I kind of wanted to show like how that has an impact on a dark skinned woman's self-esteem. Mm. And I guess for Yinka, she kind of like internalizes that. And she thinks that, okay, maybe the reason why I'm single or the reason why I can't find love is because of the way I look. Mm. Um, and so I kind of wanted to show, like, I guess how it could be so so subtle and I guess the knock-on effect of, of that as well. Yeah, and I think as well it's, you know, it's really, it is really heartbreaking to read when sort of Yinka gets to these points where she really feels that she has to change herself. Mm. You know, she has to um, change her hair. She feels like she even at one point um, contemplates bleaching her skin and mm. it's absolutely heartbreaking. And yet, and yet, you know, you don't blame her at all. You don't blame her because you understand that, um, mm. that there's just so much pressure to be a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. And also like ever since she was young, <laughs> she's kind of had to deal with colorism. So, you know, whether that's being bullied because of her dark skin, um, and her mom doesn't help as well. And I don't think her mom is, she means to be a colorist, but some of her, not a colorist, um, it means to be offensive because mm. she makes remarks about, you know, Yinka's hair because Yinka had long hair before she decided to, to cut it off. Um, so it just shows like how sometimes in our community we don't help ourselves, but at the same time, because of slavery and the effect it's had, it's kind of like, the lies that you know you have to be um, white to be to be better, or at least close to being white. That's kind of like been embedded mm. in our thought patterns and um, our mentality. So it, yeah, it is quite sad. But I'm just hoping that when people read Yinka, it will start you know more conversations around it, and hopefully it will make people more aware about you know what colorism is and to call it out if they do feel like they've seen someone being colorist mm, yeah and I think it's like and you do you don't blame her mum I mean her mum is is quite complicated character and has been through a huge amount herself and you know spent it, a lot of Yinka's life as a single mother and you you know it's coming from a place of her wanting Yinka to have a good life and yeah. to be safe and you know like in the same way that I'm you know I'm sure it's the reason why your parents wanted you to be a lawyer <laughs> <laughs> you know like it's um it's about you know wanting the best for our children it's not mm. uh, but it but you know but when we want the best for our children, we can inadvertently perpetuate um, things that we then internalize and yeah. um, and make our life complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just it's such a rich um, and 
amazing community to explore and to read about. Um, oh, I really enjoyed all of the stuff in the church so much. <laughs> it just feels like, you know, you've been, whenever you um, you get to read a novel where you feel like you've been allowed in on a world oh, yeah, that yeah, you're not yeah. part of, it's just, <laughs> it just feels, it just feels really rich and exciting to be part of it. Um, but we should say that, that, um, that, poor Yinka in the beginning and I guess throughout she does really experience quite a bit of public humiliation <laughs> in um within that community but uh but it comes from such a incredibly good place and such a lot of love for Yinka mm, uh-huh. but it did it did make me kind of think oh gosh I mean to be kind of held like that in a way by a by being part of a community like a church you can um yeah I can very much see the deal I have to say <laughs> um so um, tell me a little bit about this um, this literary this um, the literary um, consultancy Pen Factor Award. How did that come yeah. about, and how did that help change things for you as a writer? Wow, that was like a turning point in my life. So um, I think I signed up to the literary consultancy um, like newsletters. So mm-hmm. just to give you a bit of background, they are an organisation that help writers. So they have a range of services from providing editorial feedback to, you know, um, hosting workshops and things like that. Um, and so I saw that they were going to have a pen factor competition and um, I wasn't too sure whether to apply for it because I looked at the previous winners and I saw their bios and they all had some sort of like writing credentials or backgrounds. And I was like, oh, look at me. I'm just a bit of a, you know, I'm an amateur. Who, who am I? And it wasn't until like literally the day before the deadline that I decided to go for it because um, I just felt like this strong calling in my heart just to go for it and because you never know what will happen. Mm. So um, I ended up getting shortlisted and then I had to basically pitch my um, my story, I guess, and also read, I guess, um, a snippet as well on the day because it was also like a, a Writer's Day event as well. And so um, I won, <laughs> which took me by surprise. And not only that, um, the, my, I got my agent through the opportunity. So basically, oh, you no, know, Andrew, she was on the panel of judges and we, we connected afterwards because I emailed all the judges and said, you know, as part of your feedback, he said he wanted to read more of Inca. So here's, you know, the full chapter. And um, Nell was the only one that said, you know, oh, I'm so glad you got in touch because I was going to get in touch with you. Um, Are you able to come to my office? So to cut a long story short, um, after I sent her 50 pages of my manuscript and uh, a synopsis, she offered me formal representation. And I I remember it was the 27th of August and um, I still got a day marked on my calendar because I celebrate it every year because it was just such a, you know, a life-changing moment for me. Well, I just, oh, that's such a great story. And um, Nell Andrew as well, who's just, you know, an incredible, incredible woman in the industry. Yeah, just absolutely (laughs) incredible. And and I I think this is so important to talk about. This is why I wanted to ask you about it, because I think sometimes we underestimate the power of things like prizes and awards, and they can be so important in writers' lives. And I think not least because often on panels are agents and publishers um, and people who will... um, you know, have your work put in front of them. And even if it doesn't lead to representation, can often have some really fantastic advice. Um, yeah. So, yeah, oh, I'm so I'm so pleased because obviously it means that we have Yinka in the world and I'm very <laughs> glad that we do. Um, so um, 
So um, please tell me that you are continuing to write and that there is another novel on the way. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it yet, but is there another one on the way? Yes, so I'm currently writing um, book two, but I can't say what it's about. Um, I'm going to leave it as a surprise, but um, I think, yeah, it's going to be like another colourful cast of characters and it's going to be a very rich, colourful book. So I'm very excited um, to share it once once it's done. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, <laughs> it was it was just, Yinka is such a joy to read and to to be with that I'm sure I will I just can't wait to read um what you've got to write next um so uh tell me are you reading anything at the moment that you're really enjoying um yes so um this one book called um I actually read it already but it's called Hope and Glory by Jandela Benson and it's out this April and it's also set in Peckham as well oh great yeah so it's about um this 20-something woman called um, Glory, who's just come from LA um, because her father has passed away. And then when she arrives back to London, like her family is just like in disarray. Um, so her mom is having a nervous breakdown. Her brother is currently in prison. And um, Glory's also a twin as well. And then she discovers this secret about her twin sister. And then she kind of like goes on this journey to not only kind of um, find her sister but also um, to piece I guess the family back together and it's it's beautiful it's beautifully written it's very moving and uh, yeah I highly recommend it oh that sounds really great that sounds really great and I'm definitely after <laughs> reading more southeast London novels that's for sure <laughs> um, I have um, I think I've been having to read quite a lot of sort of quite heavy stuff at the moment so I decided to take to go and read a bit of like lighthearted crime at the same time, just to have a bit <laughs> of a break. And I read um, The Christie Affair by Nina de Gramont, I think it is. Okay. And it's about, um, I don't know if you know, but that there's a there's a there was a period when um, Agatha Christie in the 20s went missing for about 10 days or eight, eight days oh, or 10 okay. days. And she's never, ever, ever spoken. She never spoke about it publicly. And I've got mm. her autobiography, which, by the way, is delightful. Um, and she just completely ignores the fact that that happened and doesn't mention <laughs> it at all. And this is a, a novel um, of a fictional account of what happened in that time. Oh, interesting. It's really fun and actually completely not what I expected at all. Okay. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. It sort of weaves together her um, Agatha Christie story with the story of another woman and it's sort of, and how they weave together and the complex thing that happened that led to her not ever mentioning mm. what happened in that, those eight days. Um, yeah. It's hard to say anything more without giving anything away, okay. but, um, but yeah, it was really, it was really delightful and a lot sort of quite a bit darker and deeper than I thought it was going to be. Okay. So yeah, it was very enjoyable. Yeah. It sounds intriguing. <laughs> It is very intriguing. And it's funny because actually I've, I just read then another um, uh, kind of a new crime novel that has been a big bestseller in the US and the UK. And I was going to talk about that. And then I've realized I'm not sure how I feel about it. So I'm okay. not going to mention the title. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's funny how that can happen sometimes as well. I don't tend to mention books that I haven't really got on well with um, because I really enjoyed it in some ways. I really enjoyed the writing, but there were a few things about it that I found quite problematic. So, okay. um, yeah, 
it's funny when that happens. Um, and I, I, yeah, I don't know quite what to make of it. I think I need to go find some other people who have read it and have a private conversation with them and see whether I'm like, I've got that feeling of like, is it just me? Oh, okay. In terms of finding something a bit problematic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I get sometimes as well, like um, when everyone's raving about a book, I'm like, oh, I, I didn't really like, it didn't really gel with me. Yes, <laughs> but, yeah. isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. When, yeah. um, when there's a lot of, of hype around something and you pick it up and you kind of go, oh, Right. Yeah. No, I don't feel the same way at all yeah. about this. <laughs> and to be fair, I've seen like um, some reviews of Yinka where people are like, no, I didn't really like it. <laughs> well, you know what? I think if you write a book that everybody likes, it's probably just a nice book that's not that amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you know what I mean. I it's sort like of feel like if you've written something that really captures some people, there's always going to be some people who it's just not for. Exactly, yeah. Like if you saw a product on Amazon and it had 1,000 five-star reviews, I would be a bit suspicious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's probably just a pencil. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably something really practical and not very exciting. <laughs> but actually, um, on that front, did I read somewhere that there is potentially going to be an adaptation of Inca? Or is that yes. not something you're allowed to talk about? Um, all I can say is that it has been snapped up um, oh. for um, film rights, I guess. Um, and I guess watch this space. But because they haven't made an official an announcement, I can't talk too much about no, it. But, but it's, um, there's a potential it's really something happening yes. there. Oh, that is so <laughs> exciting. I could 100% when I was reading it, see it on the screen. 100%. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, it's very exciting. Well, thank you so much for being here. And um, best oh, of luck with the rest of the launch for, for the British publication. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> You've been listening to Not Too Busy to Write with Ali Miller and Penny Windsor. You can buy all the books recommended on the podcast at uk.bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash not too busy to write, where a portion of each sale goes to support independent bookshops around the country. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow. And please leave a review. It really helps others to find the podcast.